You're listening to the Kingdom Culture Church podcast. To connect with us, hop on social media or go to kingdomculturechurch.com.au. so quickly. So if you didn't hear that, I'm Anna Porter. I'm Pastor Fred's wife. (laughs) Thanks, Emil. (laughs) So excited to speak to you guys this morning. I haven't spoken in church in a while, so I have words burning on my heart, and I'm so excited to give them. I've got my sister and my dad here this morning. Um, I'm not going to I'm not going to point my sister out because she will never forgive me, but she is the taller, much better looking version of me. So make sure you say hi to her later on. Uh, so last time I preached, I gave a word that was, in, that was titled God is, dot, dot, dot. Who remembers that? Thanks, guys. Um, this morning, I'm flipping that on its head and I'm talking about we are. We are. Now, if you haven't heard my first message, I would say go back and have a listen. I think it's on our YouTube because it talks about all about our identity in discovering who God is. And it's so important to do that first. If you're trying to, you know, discover who you are and you're just maybe a little bit feeling like you're being blown around by the wind, we need to know who God is first to find out who we are. But that's not what I'm talking about this morning. This morning... I am talking about we are. So let's start with a a verse. There's a little bit here. It's a story. We all like stories. So we'll get straight into it. It's from Mark 5.25 to 34. And it's the story of the woman with the blood. I love that that's what we call her. The woman with the blood. A woman who had a hemorrhage for 12 years and had endured much at the hands of many physicians and had spent all that she had and was not helped at all. I'm just going to pause. This isn't part of my message. But when I was reading that, I burst out laughing because women especially, who has struggled with physicians spending all that they have and getting no help at all? Look, I love doctors, nothing against doctors, but it took five years for me to get a diagnosis. And I read that and I was like, I know what this woman is feeling. My gosh. After hearing about Jesus, she came up in the crowd behind him and touched his cloak. For she had been saying to herself, if I just touch the hem of his garments, I will get well. And immediately the flow of her blood was dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And immediately Jesus, perceiving in himself that power from him had gone out, turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing in on you and say, who touched me? And he looked around to see the woman who had done this. But the woman, fearing and trembling, aware of what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, daughter, your faith has made you go well. Go in peace and be cured of your disease. Just going to pray. Thank you, God, that you're here with us this morning. Holy Spirit, that you are so real, that you are in the room with us, Jesus, We just give this morning to you, this message to you, God, and I just pray that even just a little bit, just one person can get touched from this, can get, um, discover their identity in you, God, and remind them that they're loved, Lord Jesus, this morning, God. We give it all to you. Amen. All right, I've got three points this morning. The first one is society hated her. So back in those days, Jewish custom, Jewish law, 
if you had your period as a woman, you were considered unclean. And there was a whole ceremony that went along with purification after having your period, etc. I'm just going to read out of uh, Leviticus 15, 19 to 24. When a woman has her regular flow of blood, her period, the impurity of her monthly period will last. <laughs> Every time I say period, the guy's like, oh, God. God. My gosh, it's like a swear word. Period. And anyone who touches her will be unclean till evening. Anything she lies on, so her bed, during her period will be unclean. And anything she sits on will be unclean. Anyone who touches her bed will be unclean. Anyone who sits on what she sat on will be unclean, etc., etc., etc. She's unclean. How many words are there? Unclean, unclean, unclean. Right? This woman had been bleeding for 12 years. That's a really long time to be considered unclean. It's not a huge stretch of the imagination to think that she probably couldn't live with anyone because she couldn't touch anything that they had touched and, and vice versa. You know, back in those days, the lepers, people with leprosy, were also considered unclean. And they were exiled often out of society into the wilderness surrounding caves, etc., because they were not welcome in the towns. Possibly this could have been her fate as well. I mean, no one was going to touch her. No one was going to interact with her. So it's possible that she was homeless and that she was living outside of town. She was outcast. She was not welcome. Nobody wanted her around. Point number two. She hated herself. Who knows that if you're told something for a really long time, friends, family, society, you start to believe that thing. 12 years she had been living this way, so it kind of goes without saying that she probably thought that she was unworthy. She probably thought that she was unclean. I find it interesting that in this story, she doesn't march up to Jesus in the crowd and tap him on the shoulder and he turns around and she says, oh, hey, Jesus, look, I've just got this problem with blood and can you just please heal me in front of everyone? No, it says she touches the hem of his garment. Where's the hem? At the bottom. So again, it's no stretch of the imagination to think that she probably had to get on her hands and knees and crawl through the crowd, probably trying not to get jostled by people, just to touch without being noticed, without Jesus even knowing it to get her healing. But why? Because she knew that she wasn't welcome. She knew that she wasn't worthy. She knew that she wasn't clean and she believed it herself. All right, I have a point three, but we're not going to go there yet. We're going to save that for the end because... I'm going to do something a little bit different this morning. I'm going to tell you my story. That's not the different thing. I'm going to tell you my testimony. I really want to share that with you. I feel that on my heart. But uh, a few weeks ago, you guys probably saw on social media that I had dug up an old box from my mom's shed full of my old journals. I journaled a lot. My gosh. <laughs> a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. And I had a really good time reading them, really funny, embarrassing stuff. I'm sure you guys had a good time on socials as well. Well, I'm going to bless you this morning with some of those journal entries, which are great. So we're going to start in 1998. I was nine years old. Aww. Fred says that I look like a gremlin as a child, but I don't, I don't know. I think I'm pretty cute. What do you reckon, honey? 
No? Okay. Rude, rude. So can we put up that first journal entry? There we go. On Saturday, we went to the school to help get ready for Monday. When the job was over, we went home and took something with us. That night, Amy came for dinner. Very deep thinker, obviously, at nine years old. Very, very deep. Very deep. So that's where I started. Journaling was when I was nine. Hopefully, my spelling and penmanship gets better, but I can't promise anything. A few years go by, and it's 2003. I was 14 years old, and they could never find a school uniform that fit me properly. They were always too big, honestly. And what am I wearing around my neck? Anyway, that's not important. Not important at all. So can we put up that other second journal entry? Okay, so I'm talking about my dreams. I'm talking about what I want to do in the future. I say I'd like to finish high school and go to college, take a year off while I do DTS. Yeah, YWAM. Then I'll go over to Africa on an outreach, come home for a year, then go back and get a job as a minister or a Bible teacher. And I also want to visit my sponsor child. Then come home and build a family, get a part-time job, have kids and just live. Although I'm not really sure if I was sure on kids because I like... <laughs> scribbled it out or something <laughs> like maybe I was <laughs> had a bad experience or something at 13 at 14 but um so yeah I was very positive as a kid I was very happy um I had a lot of dreams some of them have come true I am married I've been to Africa I guess you could say I'm a minister um so it's it's you know I had I had a really good relationship with God and I was really really happy 2004 I was 15 and yeah you're welcome. I was 15 and I fell in love with a boy. Yeah, I, f I fell in love with a boy. Or five. Five, actually, I think it was. There's one. There's, oh, yep. Okay, another one. Oh, gosh. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Oh, it just keeps going. Can we, is that it? Please say that's it. Okay, that's it. That's it. Wow. I mean, because, come on, what a catch, right? Right? <laughs> boys were after me, or I was after the boys, apparently. My gosh. A lot happened in 2005 when I was 16, so moving on to 2005. I had a uh, really interesting haircut, went through a stage of, uh, do you remember that, Dad? Went through a phase there. I don't know. Do you think I should bring it back? Yeah. Oh, mixed. Okay. I'll think about it. Yeah. Great. I had my first kiss. And I journaled about that. That was very, very important. At 16, I had my first kiss. <laughs> I found out that I was moving to Queensland. So I didn't tell you this. I was, um, can we put the next one up? I was born in Canberra, born and raised in Canberra. And at 16, we moved up to Queensland. Um, and yeah, that, that happened at the end of that year. I had my first encounter with Holy Spirit. Now, this is really special to me. This is really special. So I was down in uh, Sydney at a conference at C3, and uh, it was a youth conference, and I was back in the sort of hotel with my youth, and they had sort of called everyone that wanted to be speaking in tongues or touched by the Holy Spirit to come and sit down, and they were going to pray over us. And I wrote this afterwards. I said, uh, I sat there with my eyes closed and my hands open on my lap, but nothing. I tried to switch off my brain. Who knows, that's just like, yeah. 
but couldn't. Stu, my youth leader, came and when he put his hand on me, he said, oh, Anna, you've got fear inside of you. God, drive out that fear. And all of a sudden, I started bawling my eyes out, crying uncontrollably. When Stu said, in Jesus' name, fear be gone. And I stopped crying. I lifted my head. It felt as though I hadn't been crying at all. It stopped just as suddenly as it came. Then I felt this amazing, heavy feeling in my hands. I tried to lift them, but I couldn't. I was tingling all over. It's the most incredible tingly feeling. Then the heaviness swept into my legs, and I felt it rise through my whole body. I couldn't lift anything. I was being pushed into the chair. Then Trent came over, and as soon as he put his hands on me, it goes on to say that I started speaking in tongues. And I started prophesying over my life as well. So that was really, really cool. At the same camp, I had another encounter. Um, so you guys saw on the video Dan Carox. Yeah, so, so he was with us in 2019, and he's going to be with us again this year. He's an amazing man. He, he's a, a, a really, really an incredible worshiper, such a kind guy. But 2019 wasn't actually the first time that I met Dan. So he was actually the lead singer of this youth conference. And one night I was down in the mosh pit, we used to call it, us youths, dancing away, and he was singing. And, and I wrote this journal entry about it. No, not that one. That's way later. Okay. It was so exciting. My fave singer was Dan. Too cute. He's so gorgeous. And he was standing and dancing like right in front of me. And I actually touched his hand. It was so much fun. So... Thank you. Yeah, I know. You're all jealous. I touched Dan Crox's hand. So remember that when we see him in, actually, no, don't remember that. When we see him in two weeks, you know what? Let's just forget that I ever told you that. That's, that's fine. All right. I also wrote a letter to myself. Uh, have we got that? Here we go. This has some really good advice, especially if you're parents. Dear Anna, this is a letter to you from you. Ha. Huh. <laughs> Be a good mum. Don't make your kids play instruments if they don't want to. Okay, no, no, no. Just listen. No, hang on. Just listen. Just listen. It was the saxophone. Okay? Dad, can't, like the sa it was bigger than me. That's a hard instrument to play. My gosh. And know that there's too much and that if there's too much homework, homework then do something about it. Riot, parents. Come on. If your kid thinks this, but you think that, don't argue and tell them they're not right. Sit and listen. It's not bad. Don't pull away from your husband when he wants a kiss, and make sure that you kiss him properly more than twice a week. Fred's a lucky man, let me tell you that. <laughs> Keep in touch with these people, blah, blah, blah. Always have a reason for saying no to your kids and let your kids read this diary. When you and your kids hear a swear word on the TV, don't say, wash your mouth out with soap. It's really embarrassing, embarrassing. Before you make any decisions, think of what you would have felt as a kid. Love, Angel Anna. That was my nickname for myself. So I hope you all took notes, right? That's a lot of gold in there, a lot of wisdom, especially for future parents. It's awesome. All right, so that was 2005. We're going to skip a year because in 2006, I moved uh, from Canberra up here to Queensland. Like I said, it was quite difficult for me. Uh, I'd spent my whole life in Canberra. The people that I went to school with, I'd known my whole life. My whole grade 10 was 20 people. So I came from a really small world, which I loved, 
to a state where I didn't really know anyone except for family, and a school. I went to Northside Christian College. It's a great school, but it's a really big school. There is more than 20 people in, in the grade. So, and I didn't know anyone in my grade. So it was a little bit of a culture shock for me. It was a little bit of a struggle. And I notice in my journal entries, I start to, uh, I mean, what I've shown you so far is just hilarious, but I start to replace God's voice a little bit in my life with the voice of my friends because I was very concerned about fitting in and I was very concerned about finding a place in this new state, in this new world that I was in. And so I noticed in my journal entries, things started to change. Uh, 2007, I think we've got, I think I grew my hair, yeah, there we go, back to blonde. That's me being, you know, posing for MySpace. Um, really, that was probably my profile picture for a while. It's really, yeah, really like deep thinking, I think is what I was going for. Um, <laughs> yeah, I started having identity issues, and there was a, a slide up there before, but I think that, that it's in the wrong order. It just basically says, God, I don't know who I am anymore, and that's what I was struggling with. I graduated in 2007 and went into 2008 not really sure what to do with my life, not really sure who I was, and really kind of losing a little bit the voice of God. 2008 was one of the toughest years of my life. Uh, I was sexually abused by a really close friend of mine, and that set off a seri series of really hard events in my life. I'm not sure why, but being sexually abused, and it's so common, and I'm not going to get people to put up their hands in here, but I can guarantee you that if I did, you would be shocked at how many people have experienced this because it, it is so common. And for a lot of people, it actually does open up a door for more attacks. So I was actually attacked two more times. And that's not my fault. That's the enemy's fault. But I thought it was my fault because when you are sexually abused, physically abused, you take that on as your identity and you believe that it was your fault. You believe that you're bad and you're dirty. You lose people. I lost so many friends because they all told me I was a liar. You really, really, really struggle to remember who you are, you know, let alone at a, as an 18-year-old already struggling, you know, with who I was. So this is me in, in 2008. I started to drink really heavily. Um, I started to smoke. I started to do drugs. I was out every night. I was out Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday night. Took Monday off. But my life was really, really dark. I couldn't keep a job. I would party until five o'clock, sleep the next day, party that night, sleep the next day, party that night, sleep the next day. I was so, so unhealthy and getting more and more depressed. What have we got next on the slide there? Yeah. So I wrote this in 2008. I'm angry at God. I just don't understand why he doesn't show himself or talk to us. Why don't you just sit on my bed right now, give me a big hug and let me talk? Why this invisible mystery act? It's not like I'm doubting. I believe and love you, so talk to me. I'm not crying because um, that's still painful for me. Pastor Heather said this last week and I thought it was perfect. I'm crying because I know that there's so many people, you know, whether in this church or out in the world that are crying out because they're so alone and they desperately need a touch of God. They desperately need to know that He is real and that He is just a breath away from them. 
And this is where I was. I was in so much pain. So much pain. In 2009, uh, in 2009, I wrote, oh, that's me there partying. So I was really unhealthy. If you can, you know, see from when I was a little girl, all the photos I've shown you from now until then, I, I was really, really unhealthy. In 2009, I was getting more and more depressed. Things were getting really bad. Um, I was trying to hide it from everybody, but uh, I ended up writing this. If you kill yourself, do you go to heaven? Now, I wrote that minutes before I took 24 pills, laid down in my bed, and waited to die. And by the grace of God, my dad found me. He's crying, so I'm crying. And he took me to the hospital, and I had my stomach pumped. Thank goodness. But there are so many people, there are so many people that are struggling with this in this world. There are so many people that just don't have the will to go on anymore. And if that's you this morning, this message is for you. So listen up. I went to the hospital, and... I was there for a week on suicide watch, and uh, uh, after I came out, I decided that I didn't want to die. I said, I don't want to die. I said, I want to live, but I know that if I keep living the way that I'm living, I'm going to try and do it again. I just knew that. And so I threw out my alcohol, I poured it down the sink, I threw out my cigarettes, though I wasn't very smart with that. I threw them in the bin, and then my dad found them, and he was like, Honey, whose cigarettes are these? And my sister covered for me, I remember. She was like, oh, they're your friends. They quit smoking. Remember, they threw them out. I was like, yeah, totally, yeah. I think parents know a lot more than they let on, right? Like, they're like, sometimes they play dumb, but they actually know. Is that right, Marco? Yeah, Marco knows. <laughs> Those Farnioli children. <laughs> I got a job, finally. I got a job and I could keep it. And I found a church. And it was the church where I met my husband and Jesse Rose and Caleb and Mitch and Nathan and a bunch of other people here. And that started my life on a totally different direction. And when I went to this church, 2010, I encountered the Holy Spirit for the first time in years and years. And this is, this is what I had to write. If we've got the next journal entry, yeah. I felt God saying that with each sob, each tear, I was releasing all those past hurts and dirty things out of me. Then all of a sudden it stopped, replaced by joy and peace. I sat up and said to Jenna, it's gone. She asked what? I smiled and said everything. Yeah. Do we have any photos from 2010? I believe I have one of Fred that I want you all to see. It's do we have, yeah, oh, there we go, yeah, look, you've all laughed at me a lot this morning, I just had to, you know, even it out a little bit, who, who thinks he should bring back the earring, that's, <laughs> Marco, no, okay, before I went back to church, I had an encounter with God in my bedroom, this is really important to me. I hadn't met any Christians. I hadn't been to church yet. No one had prayed for me. I didn't have worship songs on, nothing. But I was in my bedroom after pouring out my alcohol, after throwing out my cigarettes. And can I get the keys? And 
I said, God, if you're real, I knelt down by my bed. I remember it so clearly. I said, God, if you are real, please, I need you. Please help me. God, if you are real, please, please, please show me that you love me. I can't explain it to you, but I felt his presence in that room. I've never felt anything before in my life. And I felt physical arms around me. And I heard his voice say three things. I heard him say, you are loved, you are my princess, and you are my daughter. And that brings me to point number three. He called her daughter. So remember, point number one, society hated her. She wasn't allowed. She wasn't welcome. Point number two, she hated herself. She didn't believe she was welcome. She didn't believe she was worth a healing. She didn't believe that she was worth love. She didn't even believe that she was worth the eyes of the Savior on her. Point number three, he turned around and he called her daughter. Why is that so significant? It's significant because he is claiming her as his own. He is saying, you are my child and I adopt you. I am giving you a place where you have had no place. I'm giving you somewhere to plant your feet and say, I belong here. In just one moment, he didn't just offer her healing. Physically, he offered her a home. He offered her a place. He offered her acceptance. That's our Jesus. And that's what he has for every single one of us. Every single one of us. Band, you can come up. You see, this is the life we are called to with God. Obviously, I'm not talking about crashing on boys or embarrassing stories. Don't forget, I touched Dan Crooks' hand. Don't forget, I'm gonna hold that over everyone. I'm talking about stepping from death to life. I'm, ste- I'm talking from, from stepping from hurt and pain to healing and joy. Now, I know that my story is an extreme story, and I know that there are people here that have been through way worse, and I know that there are people here who haven't. But it doesn't matter. We are all God's children. And He calls you daughter this morning. He calls you son this morning. And I believe this morning that He wants to remind some people of who you are, of who you are in Christ.